Hey, you know, I need the drugs in order to be able to tolerate life. the shit and the life, and especially, you know, even just the topic. So yeah. let's yes. go for yeah, it. Yeah, we start with a song this time. Da 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 da. 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 They're Catholic and kooky. Their allegations are icky. Their parenting is iffy. The Warren family. Uh, yeah, uh, that was clunky and it didn't rhyme. And I defend that because those two do not deserve any more effort. <laughs> I have just, you just try shit and keep blazing forward. That's the Ed Warren way. The way that I'm giving you today. All right. So I know you're just delighted that we get to rejoin the romantic supernatural adventures of Eduardo the Exorcist and his psychic sidekick, Lorraine. Yeah. I mean, uh, she's psychically sensitive. Uh, yeah, which I'm, now I'm like, even if I wanted to believe that before, now I don't. Well, yeah. And I, as. <laughs> If you keep watching the Conjuring movies, Lorraine's powers grow with each movie to where she's just a straight up X-Man in the third one. Like, she is just doing, like, crazy ass, full vision, psychic shit. Okay, because in the Conjuring, she just seemed to get, like, a yeah, headache Yeah, no, it was way whatever. more, it was more mild and more understated, yeah. Yeah, it's like, uh, I can feel things, I'm starting to not feel good, and I then, have a And headache. then they had this whole, you know, and then, <laughs> and then Patrick Wilson was always like, there's a danger, you know, she could get too connected to something... Well, yeah, he, like it he takes... was like, he, he wanted her out of there, like he was the caring husband, he couldn't mm -hmm. afford for anything to happen well, to her. It's the most, most precious thing in the entire world to him. Madly, Which, madly in love that they've been since they were 16 since, years old. Yeah, since they were kids. All right, everybody, so welcome. Sweet. Welcome to Chainsaw History, the podcast where uh, we rummage around in haunted houses and Scooby-Doo our way to showing that they're, it's all uh, bullshit. It's all smoke it's and mirrors. just the old man who owns the abandoned amusement park the whole time. Wah, wah. I am your host, Jamie Chambers, and this is my sister, Bambi. Hello. We're a comedy podcast. I'm not a historian, but I did watch the real Ghostbusters every afternoon and drank Ecto Cooler. So, so you have diabetes. I'm legit, yes. <laughs> that is where the 50 extra pounds came from. Because that was like just pure sugar and dye. Mm, diabetes. If you go to chainsawhistory.com, you can find ways you can support the show, find our back episodes and bonus content, like the Value Of series where Bambi reads uh, children's history books to me that we were uh, forced to endure in the 1980s. And we also have a series called No Time for Love, Dr. Jones, where we explore the historical adventures of uh, a young Indiana Jones. Well, eventually all the way to old Indiana Jones. But I was about to say, there was some us... old man Indian in, in there, and nope. I don't recommend it. Oh, I know you miss my, young, my old Indian voice. Well, <sighs> soon. But today we're going to get back to the real life ghost banishing and demon fighting duo Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh yeah. Uh, so in our last episode we mostly talked about their background and early start. So to recap real quick, in the official story Ed and Lorraine were Catholic school sweethearts, a normal all-American couple in the 1940s, except he'd been dealing with and learning about spiritual entities since he was about five years old and Lorraine has X-Man powers to see through time and to read the auras of the living and the dead. You forgot the, also the power to get headaches mm. spontaneously yes, headaches. and to randomly feel mm. things. 
After Ed survived his boat exploding in World War II, the pair became traveling hobo artists, drawing and painting a collection of haunted houses, grabbing stories about demonic possession. Over time, they had kind of established themselves as the reigning experts of the spiritual and the demonic at a time as America became more and more interested in that sort of thing. So, uh, and then that would eventually go straight into the satanic panic of the 1980s, one of my favorite times I lived through. Oh, uh, yeah, it's definitely my favorite moral panics. Oof. So, uh, we also talked about one of the earliest notable cases and first Conjuring Cinematic Universe villain, Annabelle, who in real life is a 1970-era Raggedy Ann doll from a department store that was probably, maybe, allegedly paired with a half-assed story stolen from the Twilight Zone. No, it was straight up ripped yeah. off from so, the Twilight Zone. So now we're all caught up, ready to go and dive into it even more. So yes, just take one. Just let think fondly for just one more moment about uh, Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Farmiga, the 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 nice cinematic Warrens that are kind of cool. I find it very hilarious that the doll that I have, Millie, that sits in my living room, it looks like creepier and yep. closer to the, the cinematic Annabelle than the little oh yeah fluffy. Pillowy. We could we could tart we could tart that doll up into a like a ghost doll if we wanted to. I would never Raggedy want Ann, not so much. I yeah. But I would never do that to Millie. So uh just like last time, the research on this one was a lot of articles and interviews, and I'll link to all of this in the show notes. Did watch the documentary Devil's Road on Max, and I read the authorized sort of biography called The Demonologist uh, by Gerald Brittle, who later on sued the Warrens and Warner Brothers. And in fact, a bunch of people sued the, War the, the Warrens and Warner Brothers once there was a lot of money on the line for a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I'm sure, and I hope they won. Yeah, please don't read his stupid book. I did it for you people. And uh, one other thing I have to do is offer a content warning. Unfortunately... Uh, referring to grooming and sexual assault and abuse. So if those topics bother you, um, you might either want to skip this one or at least skip toward the end. I'll let you know when that stuff's coming up. Well, does that mean I can leave? Sadly, no. You're oh. stuck here. Well, but those things bother me. <laughs> mm. So I guess I'm taking they, they one bother, for the team. They bother me too, and I have to learn about them. I did. That's the thing. I didn't go looking for this. This wasn't what I wanted. This was supposed to be a fun story about haunted house grifters. So before we jump back into the ridiculous case histories, I think it's worth taking a moment to consider the worldview that, that shapes how these two approach and discuss the paranormal. They are not Sam and Dean Winchester using crosses and rock salt and whatever works just because of like folklore and trial and error. Okay, for the record, I would much rather see um, Jensen Ackles shoot ghosts with um, a sawed-off shotgun full of rock salt than, like, the real Ed Warren just yelling and throwing Screaming at demons in a basement. <laughs> throwing a crucifix and running like a bitch. Oh, dear. So, yeah, uh, Ed Warren is aggressively Catholic. Maybe one of the most <laughs> aggressively Catholic dudes I've ever like encountered in, you know, both real life, like in person or just learning about them. And of course, Lorraine is his most fervent and loyal supporter. So while Ed says he believes in documenting cases and capturing evidence, he is quick to point out that he is a demonologist, not a parapsychologist. Quote, 
Much spirit phenomenon is invisible and unmeasurable. The outward manifestation represent only a part of the much bigger picture that can't be measured with testing instruments. Though parapsychology has given us much data on unusual phenomenon and its link to man, it is still never approached an understanding of the true principles of metaphysics governing most spirit phenomenon. In fact, as a rule, the parapsychologist does not believe in the existence of spirits, sometimes even to the point of being ridiculous. Unquote. Okay, so he's going to talk about other people being ridiculous. Yes. He's like the people who are trying Continue. to do any kind of science because he says that's just an illegitimate approach. You can't apply natural law to the unnatural world, the supernatural world. He's like, duh, you dummies. You can't, like he even said at one point, like, they want me to catch a ghostie in a bottle. You can't do that. I mean, that's kind of the way he talked about it. Uh, so in the Warren way of thinking, any approach that doesn't acknowledge Catholic doctrine as the literal truth and there's a way to deal with these things, you're just getting in your own way. It's not, it's not my fault, my religion that I was born into and raised in was just happens to be the, the objectively correct one. And it is one of the funny things, like if you actually think about the Conjuring movies and you were just like, assume this is a parallel world where this is like in this world, everything's real. Like in that world, the Catholic religion is objectively true because they, you know, it I, works. I guess so. Like yeah. Ed, you, Ed saved that woman who floated off the ground and was going to murder her own kids. Yeah. By speaking some. Yeah. By doing an exorcism that he bad, admitted bad himself, he wasn't authorized to, to do. do. And the real Ed Warren, it has been said many times, like, um, like Lorraine was almost offended that they portrayed Ed doing an exorcism by himself in that movie because that he would never take the authority of a priest. In fact, they usually had like four of them around when they were doing that sort of thing. Okay. So once again, it has to be the Catholic way. Any and a non-religious approach uh, is is illegitimate. Uh, he's also clear that making things right with God is the best way forward, and to avoid anything even hinting of the occult. So my Dungeons and Dragons playing ass. Is screwed. Well, you know, I have like, you know, moles and skin tags and things. And, you know, some of the, I have a actual, a large mole on my breast. So I would have been burned at the Well, we're going to be witch. talking about some, we're going to be talking about a witch soon enough. We're coming yeah. up on the witch because we're going to be talking about the conjuring, the actual story in a minute. Uh, so anyway, uh, the demonologist describes the Warrens helping the foster family who accidentally summoned a dark spirit with a Ouija board they got from like Sears or whatever. Uh, Ed's solution was to spray everything with holy water and wave around a crucifix and threaten the spirit with exorcism so it ran away. Okay. Get the he fuck out of here, demon. <laughs> the name of Jesus. Nah. Uh, he then gave his instructions to the family. Quote, everything depends on your future actions, Ed explained once they came in. Any improvements you may have thought about making in your lives ought to begin right now. Certainly, he told Meg, there should be no more rituals of any sort. All the occult books and conjuring paraphernalia that were in your bedroom belong in the garbage. Unquote. He then recommends a priest blesses their house like immediately to prevent the spirit from sneaking back in once Ed's back is turned. Quote. The sneaking back in. <laughs> yes. The spirits are always creeping right back They're in. Cre okay, so this is okay, so this is some Scooby-Doo shit. Quote, most of all. Ed stressed, your best protection in the coming weeks and months is to develop positive interests as a shield against the negative. If you're religious-minded people, consider going to church as a family once a week as a show of sincerity, unquote. Because you know what's, going to church always means no, you're sincere. No, never, I've never had a negative emotion in a church, never once in my life. And you know, everyone there is full of positivity and sincerity yeah, and at all times. All speak the truth. 
never abuse anyone. I have no idea what's going on in Ed Warren's head or heart. I can only make my guesses, so this is all my opinion. Allegedly, he believed, or in, and so he, I'm, I'm telling you, he commits knowing hoaxes and frauds throughout this whole story. Nice. Like with the Annabelle thing we just talked about, I made this bunch of shit up. But I believe he kind of rationalized it in his head is because he saw increasingly that people being afraid of the devil made them run straight to the loving arms of Jesus and Mother Mary. Okay. So he could tell himself that by scaring the crap out of people, he was saving souls and bringing people into Mother Church. I'm saving lives. Yeah. I'm saying And if he so just much. happened to make a few bucks along the way, you know, I mean, a man's got to eat. Honestly, that would be the true Catholic way. From the, the documentary Devil's Road, Ed had this to say. You would be shocked at how many Catholic priests don't even believe there's a devil. It's all in the Bible. Within every ten words, you have a psychic word. Apparition, ghost, devil, demon, evil. People say, Ed Warren hides behind his beliefs of Catholicism. I don't hide behind them. I use them because I've seen and I've heard and I've felt the things that it's talked about. Unquote. That's the Ed Warren mindset. The Catholic is shit way. Oh, <laughs> so, dokey. Now, with all that other way, you want to talk about some fucking haunted houses? Finally. Let's do it. I'm really into haunted houses. And this is the house from the movie you watched. This is the Perrin family. From the Nesper website, quote, in January 1971, the Perrin family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, where Carolyn, Roger, and their five daughters began to notice things happening almost immediately after they moved in. It started small. Carolyn would notice the broom went missing, or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen where no one was there. She'd find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. The girls began to notice spirits around the house though for the most part, they were harmless. There were a few, however, that were angry. Unquote. Okay, so wait, there were spirits going around sweeping the floors? Apparently, piling up dirt. Well, Just I so mean, it's easy to put in a dustpan. It seems like I was about that's to some say, helpful can, shit. Can I get that ghost? Can I get the house cleaning ghost? The Roomba, one that, the Roomba the, ghost. <laughs> the one that likes to, you know, dust and sweep? That'd be fucking fantastic. Now, they said, like, the day they moved in, they saw the apparition of an old man who vanished. That they, they multiple people saw some old dude. That, w that was the first ghost sign that they got, like, on move-in day to the f this farmhouse in Rhode Island. Okay. So, this, so an old man that likes to do housework. Yeah, that was the thing. So this, of course, like, this is the story that Move inspired... Move into my house, old man. This is the story that inspired The Conjuring. And so over time, the phenomenon got more intense. The documentary Devil's Road declares the parents, quote... Desperately seek help from Ed and Lorraine, who are known for their paranormal investigations and doing battle with the demonic, unquote. A local reporter named Laura DiDio said, quote, The mother, Carolyn, seemed to be the focal point of, with a lot of negative energy. I remember coming here once with the Warrens, and Carolyn said, and this always stuck with me and still does, years later, she went to cut open an orange and blood spurted out, unquote. I heard that, and my thought was, was it a blood, blood orange? orange? Yeah, <laughs> Mom was also seeing apparitions. Yeah, this is the 70s. Maybe she'd just never seen a blood orange before. She picked up the yeah. wrong kind of orange at the grocery store, but she was a fucking yokel. Right. 
So over time, they saw that old man on move-in day, but they saw, mostly mom started reporting seeing the apparition of an older woman. Uh, so this is an, uh, from an August 1977 story published in the Providence Journal, the local newspaper in Providence, Rhode Island. Quote, Mrs. Perrin said she awoke before dawn one morning to find an apparition by her bed, the head of an old woman hanging off to one side over an old gray dress. There was a voice reverberating, Get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. Unquote. Yeah, I guess that'd be scarier than the yeah. old man. Just an old man hanging around. The, o- the old man who sweeps and the who floors. Does, who does housework. <laughs> yeah, doors started slamming or they become stuck open. A disembodied childlike voice would cry, Mama, Mama. So Andrea Perrin, the oldest of the five girls, who apparently like at least about 10 years ago was living here in the Atlanta area, and I guess Carolyn, the mom, was living with her here too. Has uh, been the most vocal about telling the story. So Andrea is the oldest of the five daughters. She at this point has three, a trilogy of self-published books about living in this house. And you learn later that it turns out she was one of the consultants and turned over her notes and got paid money, money, money for The Conjuring. Okay. Yeah. So credible witness. Although I have to say, Mom, personally, if I had like gone nuts and tried to kill my family, I wouldn't want to go tell like the world about it. Right. But here's I'd, like keeping well, that shit to myself. Here's the good news: she never tried to kill her family, and that part was just made, completely made up for the movie. Like a lot of this stuff was. The movie was very fictionalized, even by what the Warrens and the parents' like actual story is. So it's like even if you believe that the story was bullshit, the Conjuring is one extra layer of bullshit because it doesn't even try to stick to the, the official events. It just takes the best little pieces of it and then makes up the rest to make a more compelling movie. Well, I mean that's. That's how the best stories right. are. And, and so that's how we're go. So, but right now we're going by what Andrea, the oldest daughter, is having to say. Um, so she published these books. She even hints uh, that some of the ghosts abused the family sexually. Quote, let's just say there was a very bad male spirit and five little girls. Unquote. That's all she'll say about that. I mean, that's usually more of a dad thing. Yeah. yeah. So um, None of this is good. And there was plenty to tell. So in the movie The Conjuring, the family moves in and like over an implied period of like weeks, maybe a month, this stuff starts building up until the Warrens have to like really intervene or these families screwed because mom's going to kill the kids. Um, But in real life, they moved in the house in 1971 and stayed until 1980. So literally nine or so years. Yeah, you can tell how scared they were. Yep, and the supernatural allegedly fucking with them pretty much daily, according to Andrea. Well, that's the thing. It's like if it were just like, get out. As they swept the floors, I could see them being like, yeah, I don't want to be. However, (laughs) it's like, if you want to say that five children were being molested in that house by ghosts, wouldn't you want to get your kids out? So that's just one thing to think about, that they did stick around for nine years. At one point, financial difficulties they had, apparently, because when they moved in, it wasn't just that house. They had a shit, like hundreds of acres of land that came with it. And they sold off a big chunk of it during that nine years to get by during hard times. Uh, so then why wouldn't they like have sold the house with that chunk, kept the other chunk and built a nicer, not haunted house? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm just a problem solver. All right. So from a July 2013 issue of the Providence Journal, quote, in the movie, Carolyn seeks the help of the Warrens. But Andrea said the Warrens were brought in by a paranormal group in Rhode Island and one day just arrived at the front door. <laughs> Mrs. Warren came into the house knowing nothing, Andrea said. But she added, she stepped in the kitchen and said, I feel a dark presence. 
and her name is Bathsheba. The Warrens later concluded the Harrisville house was haunted by Bathsheba Sherman, who had lived there in the 19th century. She had been a practicing Satanist, according to the Warrens' account in the journal, who had murdered her young daughter as a sacrifice to Lucifer, so that she might remain on the premises to haunt the house forevermore. The woman followed established black rituals and took her own life. She hanged herself, hence her apparition to Mrs. Perrin, according to the Warrens. Unquote. Heavy emphasis on those last words, according, according to, to the, the Warrens. Warrens. I was about to say, uh, didn't they say it was an old man? Well, it started as an old man, but then the Warrens literally basically sort of the official... Morphed it? The story sort of comes to the point, like, and I say real, with the biggest air quotes ever, but the official Warren-approved story that kind of matches up with Carolyn and Andrea Perrin is that there's this witch... And then there was these these uh, benign spirits, but the witch was also using the benign spirits to torment the family too, because she was the the head ghost or whatever. If that makes sense. Don't, oh my God! So even when you die, and a bully, you're a you can ghost, get bullied by you me. can get like bullied into like having a. All so right. you have still have to go to work and have a boss you don't like. All right, old man ghost, you must now sweep the floor in a creepy pile. That'll really fuck with her. <laughs> Now touch the little girl. They didn't do anything quite as dramatic as like the fucking thing on top of the wardrobe that jumps down and scares you <laughs> shit out of you. Because that's one of the few things. The Conjuring was good about not doing a lot of straight up jump scares, but that was one of the few cheap ones and it kind of earned it because at that point it was just setting all this mood. And then finally when it did, it was like, oh God, <laughs> that's not good. Well, that And you're looking inside. You're thinking it's going to jump out from inside and instead it's on top of the goddamn thing. Fuck you, James Wan. Yeah, and what... It was was very unsettling. Yeah. It was that it was. was a very unsettling moment. Like yeah. I was ready for it, and you still. No, he did a good job of making you ready for yeah. it and still getting you. And it was getting a, it. It was a good one. He's a good director. He made the insanity of Aquaman at least still entertaining. All right, so uh, we established this is they. So they've they've identified this suicide murder witch is the head ghost is the reason why the Perrin family are all messed with. So this is all part of the official story. So the Warrens barge into the house one day and begin asking questions, poking around, making declarations about what's going on. Lorraine's like. Doing her trans medium thing as she she's, roams she's around. She's feeling shit. Uh, reading the auras. So uh, Ed decides the next move is to hold a seance uh, to contact any spirits hanging around and see what's up. Uh, so Carolyn, the mom, is instantly on board for all this. But Roger, the truck driver dad, ain't so keen on any of what's going on. So he's sort of reluctantly dragged into this. Well, I mean... If you were molesting your daughters and spirits were being blamed, would you would be you wouldn't feel good about being exercised either. It's like what the fuck? So what are these weirdos doing here? So they ought to hold hands and sit around the table. So Lorraine does her psychic medium thing where she's like, presence, you know, reveal yourself, give us your name, doing you know, talking to you know the unseen. And then while while she's doing all this, and suddenly things got real weird real fast. So Andrea Perrin describes this experience to USA Today in July 2013, all part of this promotional blitz for The Conjuring. Quote, now so that she's saying that she was hiding watching the seance. She wasn't supposed to be there, but she was like hiding oh, behind. Oh, but she saw but it. But she's, she's hiding behind a corner. Quote, I thought I was going to pass out, Andrea says. My mother began to speak in a language not of this world. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. Unquote. Now, from the Devil's Road documentary. Quote, Roger's petrified for his wife. 
Something's happening to her that he's never seen anything like this, so he runs to her. But Ed stops him. Ed believes she's under demonic attack, and that if Roger intervenes in any way, he could put himself in danger. At that point, Roger's furious, and he punches Ed in the face because he's hell-bent on helping his wife. And then Roger kicks Ed and Lorraine out of the house, and they're not allowed back in again. Unquote. Yep. So imagine if The Conjuring had ended with Ron Livingston punching Patrick Wilson in the face and, and telling him to fuck off and never come back. That's how it would have ended if it matched the real story. Yeah, so far uh, you haven't sold me on ghosts. You possibly have sold me on, like, pedophilia, though. And yeah. Mom might be a little nuts. So, yeah, we're going to get into some of that. And, like, you know, whether mom, like, she said her mom's chair levitated. Like, they turned that into the scene in the basement at the end of the movie where her chair mm-hmm. lifts it up and turns literally fucking upside down. Uh, a little bit more dramatic than her chair yes. flew back and then fell to the floor. And then she started speaking in tongues. The movie version, of course, had Ed saving Carolyn and cleansing the house by performing an exorcism. And as we established, real Ed would never step on a priest's frock like that. That, and apparently in order to cleanse a house, you have to, like, get permission from someone? We'll get into that a little bit, too, in a minute. Um, So, instead, the family just lived there for, like, almost a decade. Like, as long as I was in Wisconsin, those people lived in that haunted house. And then when they moved, apparently everything just stopped, both in the house and with them. It it was just over. Um. When asked the obvious question of why the family didn't move, you know, the one you asked at the very beginning, because remember, they like, they're according to Andrea here, the oldest daughter, they wake up every morning to their bed shaking and like the stench of rotting meat. She said, Andrea said, quote, I hear that question most every day. I think we were supposed to have this experience and share it with the world, unquote, for some sweet, sweet residuals from Warner Brothers. Yeah, this was <laughs> supposed to happen because now. I'm rich we've, off this bullshit. Well, if not rich, at least made some money. money. It, uh, okay, yeah. Oh, again, if spirits were molesting my children, I'd move. That's a really good point. I mean, especially when you can sell. Like I said, they were able to sell off hundred, like hundreds of acres of land, and they could have just sold the whole. Th- I mean, yeah. There's a there's definitely an argument to be made if this is all for real because it really seems like. Some of the families kind of kept their mouths shut, but Carolyn, the mom, and Andrea, the oldest daughter, are the ones who were like, la da 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 talking about all this, and they were the ones who were very much participatory in the promotion of The Conjuring and as they were seriously financially benefiting. No, Dad wasn't a child molester, not at all. So... I, you know, I am not here to uh, slander or malign. This is all just speculation. No, and again, I don't think that dad was molesting his daughters either. I think that this is just a bunch of fucking horseshit. So, so continue. So, Bambi, you know I would love nothing more than do, like, extensive historical research to confirm or debunk the specific claims made by the Warrens and Andrea Perrin's books. But you know what? I don't have to because a hero fucking legend stepped into this story that I was not expecting <laughs> um, who did all of the work even if she did it all in self-defense because she's just a fucking frustrated old lady so let me introduce you to this this little side story so when The Conjuring came out in 2013 so we're 10 years into The Conjuring cinematic universe at this point uh, Warner Brothers really wanted to lean into this whole based on a true story angle and the fact that the Warrens really have had a reputation ever since Amityville 
at least for people who are into that sort of thing. Like I'd heard of the Warrens when I was, since I was a teenager and they were always in like the Inquirer and shit. So the, the Warner brothers really wanted to like lean into this whole, you know, this is, you know, this is, you know, maybe a little bit exaggerated, but it's still based on the true story of what happened. And so it's why the conjuring films always roll the credits over photographs of the real people in places. So every conjuring movie ends with the real pictures and little clips and little bits and pieces to kind of sell the legitimacy of the story. It also means uh, that they didn't want to change the names of the real people or places, which made it really easy for anyone interested to look up the real Conjuring farmhouse. And they did. <laughs> so paranormal researchers, YouTubers, looky-loos, and other weirdos just constantly showed up on the property wanting to snoop around the barn, look in the windows, or just bug the owners and ask them questions about, you know, ghosts. Now, this owner, these owners, um, who are a retired couple... These, so these old, poor, these poor old, old people, people who have lived in this house for decades. <laughs> Suddenly, because of this fucking movie, people are, sh and the fact that no, no one even made a bother to, to protect their privacy in any way, just suddenly people are showing up day and night and fucking with them and making them feel unsafe. Lovely. I hope these people sued the shit out of so, yeah. someone. So, so these, these poor old couple had to, for the first time in decades, had to say that we had to post our house. They had to put no trespassing signs, ropes and chains up everywhere that they didn't want. And even still, like she said, she didn't, she didn't, she used to like going out into her gardener, sitting on her fucking porch mm -hmm. and enjoying the fact she lives in a beautiful place in this historic hundreds years old farmhouse. And instead these, these fucking assholes coming in from everywhere because they watch this movie and it makes them interested in the paranormal and they want to do their TikToks. See, this so, is why we can't have nice things. So however, this lady, Norma Sutcliffe, my new fucking hero, uh, is she, she's like a retired, uh, I think a therapist, like a counselor, I believe from, uh, what she said, decided to roll up her sleeves and call everyone out on their bullshit. She worked with a local journalist and spent months pouring through historical records, genealogical information, and old newspaper files. Norma did the work and produced the receipts. Uh, so, and I know this is going to shock you, but it turns out the Warrens and the parents are completely full of shit. No. Uh, you mean there wasn't a witch? So, yeah, no, was not a witch. So uh, Norma took her research and put out a one-hour and four-minute YouTube video discussing this and just throwing, putting the screenshots of all of her research on the screen as she's talking. This is just an old lady just laying it out nice. fact by fact. Uh, so, yeah, I fucking love Norma. She claims that Carolyn Perrin desperately wanted to move and started and concocted. She was the first one that came up with this Bathsheba Sherman, the witch story, just taking a, a person that she found out about who had lived in the area. So uh, this is quoting Norma's video. She claimed that Bathsheba had been in Arnold. She was not. That she had lived in our home. She did not. She claimed that Bathsheba, when she was young, killed an infant with a knitting needle, and according to her, a hearing was held to see if there was enough evidence to bring her to trial for murder. No evidence of the death or of a hearing anywhere has ever been found, including the Superior Court records. Carolyn claims the community knew all about it and that the townspeople ostracized Bathsheba for actually murdering the infant for sacrifice in a satanic ritual because she was really a witch. That Bathsheba was a 
and had made a pact with the devil to keep her beauty. No evidence in any historical record or from any local historians To, to do the actual work. Well, that's kind of how things... Yeah. No, this, this all tries. So, yeah, it turns out that Bathsheba not only didn't hang herself in the barn, but she never even lived directly, like, in that house. She, you know... Was there even a lady named Bathsheba? Oh, yeah. There was a real lady named Bathsheba Sherman. That's what... It was a mm-hmm. cool... She clearly picked for having that kind of witchy, neat name. Yeah. So, yes, there was indeed a woman named Bathsheba Sherman... Uh, the only real unusual thing about her is she married in her 30s, which is kind of unusual for the 1800s. Um, she had several kids. Most of them died of your typical childhood horrific illnesses that were all over the place back then. Um, but she did have one son that grew to adulthood, had his own family. So this poor woman uh, died as after a stroke as an old lady uh, just a few years after her husband. She was like, she literally, I think, lived to be in her like 80s. Okay. She did not hang herself. So this is a bunch of slander. And uh, not only that, but her funeral was presided over by like a prominent local Baptist preacher. So oh, so you're you you slander in the Catholics yeah. now too. So like just like those poor old ladies that uh, Matthew Hale sentenced to death back in our trial of witches episode, poor Bathsheba is another innocent old lady falsely accused of witchcraft by assholes. Well, at least she was not actually hung. Yeah, she just got to she, live she, her life. She lived her life being uh, a person. Yeah, and then and then just died. and yeah, and despite just having a witchy name, she was just a normal yeah. ass person doing normal ass things. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, her, the only People. the the tragedy of her life is just she lost several children. But said you know it's like that was very common back then, especially if you were kind of a semi backwoods. You know, 1800s family living in Rhode Island. Well, I mean, it, it, it's not super uncommon to lose a yeah. a pregnancy now. Well, that's it now. But then it was turned into she murdered her own children. Even though one of them one of them was fine and got married and all that. But whatever, it's all it's all bullshit. So, um, anyone who wants to uh, check out Norma's incredible work uh, in the sake of skepticism. Um, I'll be linking to her video in the show notes. You, I, I literally watched the entire thing last night. Listen to every word she had to say, which she ended on a diatribe about science and reason should be our guideposts. And I'm like, rock on, Norma. Wow. I hope she's still doing okay. This video is, you know, it's like nine years old. Nah. Um, I do know this, that they did give up, and I don't know the circumstances. <laughs> um, they did move, you know, whether... Whatever happened to, to Norma and her husband, Jerry, hope they're okay. Hope they just move somewhere where nobody would bother them. But apparently whoever owns the property now has just turned it into a tourist trap. They're like, if people are going to flock. That's all it's going to be. That's well, no, all is good for anyway. If people are going to be showing up anyway, charge them fucking money. That's what yeah. I say. That's why they filmed part of that documentary in that house. Because that, those people are now like, yeah, just pay us Bring money. It. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Then This totally yes for real haunted house. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, so yeah, she totally rips it apart and proves that uh, the Warrens and Andrea were just incredible liars. 
yeah. and very clearly for profit. I mean, but at least for profit lying is a lot more explainable than non than yeah. not for profit lying. But speaking of which, so this is this is this early story, and this is when the or the Warrens like. You know, when they did investigate the parents, this is when they were just starting to do like their college lecture bit. This is before their the idea of even selling the stories has kicked in because this is the one where they learn their lesson. Let's talk about the Amityville horror. <laughs> Funny enough, do you know I've never seen the Amityville horror? I've seen it so long ago, I only have vague memories of the actual movie, and I didn't watch any of the remakes, I didn't watch any of the spin-offs. But um, but as you know. Still, like just by reputation, yeah, I know, I know what happened. The most famous haunted house in America, maybe mm-hmm. even the world, and and the brave priest that takes in the demon at the mm-hmm. into his own body and then throws himself out the window. That was the Exorcist. Is that the Exorcist? That's the Exorcist. The Exorcist okay. has nothing to do with the Warrens directly, but also incredibly important. I to the was Warrens about story. to say there were so many flashes of movies. I believe this is the case that launched the Warrens down the path that would eventually lead them to starring characters in their own film franchise. Is the Amity the Amityville horror? That's the dude that killed his sibling, his family. Killed his whole family. Yes, we're about to talk about that. There we go. Yep. I knew I'd get there eventually. Stroke brain. The horror started very real, as you just said, because near the end of 1975, the very year I was born, a guy named Ronald DeFeo went by Butch. You know, Long Island, New York. He was arrested for murdering all six <laughs> members of his family in their Long Island home, whom he shot in the back of the head with a rifle during the witching hour, three o'clock in the morning. Just over a year later, George and Kathy Lutz purchased the Dutch colonial house at the bargain price of 80 grand. This is like a big house in a nice neighborhood Rock right there near the because, water in Long you know, Island. When a bunch of people get slaughtered. Yeah, when a when a family annihilators kills a shitload of people, including kids, that tends to drive down the property value. Yeah, I mean mm. So the Lutz family move in, and then a month later they announced to the world they were abandoning the house because it was haunted as fuck. Okay. So, according to the Nesper website, a priest was brought in to bless the Lutz's new home because they're Catholic. And here's a little spoiler for you. Every single family we've talked about are Catholic. Now, you might remember if you watched The Conjuring, she's like, oh, we're not religious. All that. We're not. Yeah, she was like, That's, we're not really religious. We, we totally have five kids because we're not Catholic. No, the, the fucking parents were Catholic as shit, and all of them were. And it's sort of a, almost not always a requirement for the Ed and Lorraine thing because once again this is having you have to accept the Catholic belief system to make this work they're not going to mess with non-Catholic ghosts yeah now even then once again there's not a the, the, the Warrens have an actually minor role in the whole Amityville thing but it has a much bigger role in their lives and their story which is why like you know you didn't if you watch the Amityville horror right. movie or even read the book um, by um, by Anson they're not mentioned mm-hmm. even at once but uh, we'll get there. So anyway, so they move into the house, and they, a month later they run away saying the house is haunted. So according to the Nesper website, a priest was brought in to bless, to bless the Lutz's new house, and he heard the words, get out, in an upstairs room. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Everyone in the family suddenly was like getting into a bad mood. Like everybody's mood changed, especially dad, getting angrier and angrier. Um, mom and dad started having health issues. 
Um, there's foul odors in the air, nasty stains that would appear out of nowhere. This is middle of December, but it's like clouds of flies would appear. And then there was Jody. Quote, the Lutz's daughter began spending all her time in the room playing with an imaginary friend. She described as red-eyed pig called Jody, who could transform not only shape but size at times being larger than the house. Jody also claimed she could not be seen by anyone unless she wanted them to. Unquote. Same rule as Pete's dragon, Elliot. You, you, know, you can only see him if you want him to. He's just invisible right now. And yes, Jody, the, the, the magic spirit pig, can be bigger <laughs> than the house. Okay. There was also this incident. Quote, George also awoke one night to witness his wife transform into a 90-year-old hag, and the next night she began levitating over the bed. Unquote. Dana Barrett, Ghostbusters style. <laughs> okay. Except less hot. She became a 90-year-old shrieking hag, apparently. Uh, after the Lutz's got the hell out of Dodge, a local reporter called the Warrens, so they get the story out about this spooky multiple murder house turned haunted house. Um, and because at this point, the Warrens were, mm -hmm. the, you know, they were a couple years into this, oh, they speak at colleges, they give, they're the people to call when you want to get an extra story out of this sort of thing. So the Warrens are called in. Uh, the book, The Demonologist, describes Ed and Lorraine conducting a walkthrough of the abandoned home and then scheduling a seance a few days later. Uh, Lorraine walking through the home is dramatized at the beginning of The Conjuring 2, by the way. Other tellings of their first visit are more dramatic. This is Lorraine quoted in Devil's Road. Quote, The media asked me to go on to the second floor and to tell them what I felt. And as I was going up the stairs, I reached a point where it felt as if a force of water was coming against my chest, almost like a waterfall. It was the worst feeling. I stopped on the landing and held tight to the relic that was in my hand and asked for strength and direction in going forward. It felt ominous to me. There was something inhuman or very, very negative, unquote. Meanwhile, Ed was down in the basement, waving around a crucifix and yelling at demons. <laughs> quote, as is my custom as a religious demonologist, I took out a crucifix and commanded in the name of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ uh, what there was there to reveal itself. I never had such a quick reaction. I felt as though I was underneath a waterfall. That's how terrific the pressure was on my head and shoulders, forcing me down to the floor. I went into a religious resistance and then envisioned myself in Christ's light. And again, I commanded it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. It immediately lifted off. Unquote. This was the point at which uh, Ed decided they were dealing with a demonic presence in the house. The Nesper website claims, as do the books and movies about the house, that the property was once owned by a black magician. And that is a practitioner of the dark arts, not a like an African-American like guy who does card tricks. <gasps> okay. Uh, so this was a guy named, supposedly named John Ketchum, whose cursed bones were supposedly buried on the property. There's also a story about Native Americans who died tragically. They were like trapped and died in, in some story. So soaking the place in negative juju. They were, the, the, the always sort of the pop culture thing is, oh, this was buried on an Indian burial ground is what they would say. But it's, it, was a, it was supposed to be this, this other story that I have no idea if there's any basis in it or not. I just don't know. No clue. Either way, there's supposed to be like multiple reasons why the, this house is, is just evil. The house itself hates them. The house is evil. So, and then of course now multiple murders and is it a chicken or egg thing? Did the murders make things worse or were the murders inspired by a demonic force in the first place? Why would Butch, you know, kill everyone, including his little brothers and sisters? The Warrens held a seance at the Amityville 
house with local reporters, but nothing happened other than people feeling a few people felt sick and a cameraman experienced chest pain after walking up a flight of stairs. And, you know. Couldn't he have just been old and fat? I have no idea. <laughs> Quite possible. Ed and Lorraine recommend, what else? An exorcism. <laughs> Uh, but instead of that, the bank foreclosed on the property and the Lutz family moved out to the West Coast. They moved the tombstones but didn't move the bodies. Then, a guy named Jay Anson wrote a massively best-selling book about the haunting that got turned into a hugely successful movie that still spawns schlocky spinoffs to this very day. So IMDb describes the 2021 film Amityville in the Hood, quote, an East Side gang uses the Amityville property to grow marijuana when they're attacked by a rival gang and their drugs stolen. Soon it's unleashed on the west side streets of Compton, where anyone who smokes it suffers one killer buzz. Unquote. <laughs> so Amityville has literally reached the point where it's a it's a South Side LA it, haunted weed story. It the house itself moved. It changed locations. No, they just grew, apparently they just, just, grew, they just grew, grew, grew they grew weed there, and then the weed got stolen and taken out to LA. For reasons, because they can't get weed out in California. That's okay. hilarious, but just but again, this is a stupid movie. It was made for like five hundred dollars. Uh, Ed and Lorraine weren't mentioned in either the book or any of the movies, but their connection to the case, like in the newspapers and magazine articles, and and like little like interviews on news shows and stuff, it massively raised their profile. This super famous case suddenly their stock was hugely on the rise. And they learned that giving college lectures and tours of their cluttered basement was fine, but that the real money is what that guy Anson did. Uh, that, you know, it's book deals and movie rights. From this point forward, the Warrens were going to get paid. <laughs> and, yeah. And they did. They sure they fucking did. did. God. I mean, they're dead when the other thing... Now they're dead as the true money is rolling in on their daughter. Good. So, uh, as for the reality of the Lutz home haunting, of course it was bullshit. Turns out that the lawyer for Ronald DeFeo had pitched the whole haunting scheme to the Lutzes to share in this lucrative story rights and would provide his client with a kind of novel defense. Saying that, you know, he was inspired by, you know, demons or demonic possession. And even though that didn't go anywhere, uh, it's not the last time that will be tried. So, in the end, however, the Lutzes wanted a bigger share. They didn't want to split it a third ways. So, they just went straight to this author, Jay Anson. And the Lutzes split the uh, the deal 50-50 um, <laughs> to sell their story. Uh, so, then a series of petty lawsuits <laughs> followed between, like, all of these people involved. Huh. See, that that's the criminal show we yeah. need. <laughs> so, have that many series. Well, here we're going to have a cranky judge named... Uh, judge Law and Order Paranormal. Paranormal Unit. Judge Weinstein of the Brooklyn U.S. District Court dismissed a lawsuit by the Letts family against Good Housekeeping Magazine, stating, quote, Based on what I've heard, it appears to me that a large extent of the book is a work of fiction, relying in a large part on the suggestion of Mr. Weber, unquote. Weber being Ron DeFeo, the murderer's defense attorney. Quoted in a September 7th, 1979 issue of People magazine, Weber said, quote, I know this book is a hoax. We created this horror story over many bottles of wine, unquote. Ah, <laughs> uh, these aren't good people. No, these are all terrible people. And remember, there's actual dead people <laughs> in the story. They're dead children. 
I refuse to let Ed and Lorraine Warren take up more than two episodes. We're going to kind of do a bit of a speed round so we can end with some important and uh, awful stuff. Okay. So after Amityville, the Warrens were kind of in demand, not only with more cases than they could ever possibly investigate, but an increasingly profitable series of speaking engagements, interviews, and talk show appearances. This is where you start seeing them on television, first on local news, and then later on in national programs, and eventually like on fucking Sally Jesse. There's, a, there's an Ed and Lorraine episode of Sally Jesse where Ed almost gets into a fist fight with a skeptic. It's great. Hi. Okay. <laughs> So uh, they could charge even more for their college lectures, like actual tuition money going to Ed Warren ranting about demons for a couple of hours. That has to be a very amusing class. I'm, I hope that there were students and, you know, they got good grades. Well, did you notice in The Conjuring it showed that that classroom they were in was like packed to the gills? Like yes. every seat was filled? Yes. I mean, I guess if the if the weird paranormal couple looked like Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga, I also would gonna go check well, it out. Well, I mean, it's gotta be spending an afternoon listening to a couple weirdos talk about ghosts is at least amusing as opposed to like doing math. Right. And usually they would get all these, you know, typical you know, nineteen yeah. year old questions from the audience. And you, yeah, what you get do you get like a credit for that? And of course Ed is thinking, I'm scaring these kids to Christ. Uh, so they learned the lesson of Amityville, that there's gold in them, the haunted <laughs> houses. Uh, and so they began hiring authors to write stories based on their case files. It's where we get the books such as The Haunted, Ghost Hunters, Werewolf, Graveyard, Deliver Us from Evil, and In a Dark Place. More on that last one in a minute. That's an important one. And some of these stories uh, get optioned and eventually get made into major motion pictures. So next in the timeline, uh, The Conjuring 2 is very loosely based on the haunting and possession reported in the UK in a town called Enfield in the late summer in 1977. There was increasing disturbances that caused this single mother to panic. and She runs to her neighbor's house at one point in the middle of the night saying shit's going on with her daughter. She has, uh, she's two daughters. And she's all by herself, doesn't have a man. Ultimately, it led to a local paranormal society spending, like, extensive time with the family. And possibly this, like, codependent relationship. Because one of these investigators is, like, this guy whose teenage daughter died in a car crash. And then this girl, young girl, Janet, is this has the same name as his dead daughter. And she has, their father ran out on them. So, like... Oh, they're... So, this, like, emotional... Like, he seems like he genuinely cared and want this family. Like, it doesn't seem like it came from a bad place. But it also means he's not objective at all. <laughs> uh, like, the longer story... In fact, if you... Any fans of the last podcast on the left, they did a, a nice series on this one. Uh, like, talking about this haunting and, and all this stuff. So, um... So ultimately, uh, some of the evidence that includes there's photographs that supposedly show that Janet was levitating, but if you actually put them in sequence, it just shows she's just jumping off the bed. You can <laughs> turn them into a flip book of a girl jumping off a bed. It's it's not even like very convincing. Um, and also, uh, some of the girls were caught bending spoons because that was one of the things like the ghosts were yeah, supposedly was... bending spoons in the other room, and the girls were caught faking shit. Uh, later on, Janet claimed, quote, Oh, yeah, once or twice, and I'm not going to even do a British accent, once or twice, we faked things just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us, unquote. Ed and Lorraine did not, in fact, save the family from the evil of the nun, but rather <laughs> showed up uninvited and hung around for a single day before leaving on their whirlwind tour of England. So, literally, them being the hero of the Conjuring movies is hilarious, because these other people spent 
like two years off of, like with this family and Ed and Lorraine were there for a day. And now they're made into a movie where they like save these little girls from this, from this demon. The nun was completely made up as a way to have a new spinoff villain for movies, just like Annabelle. So they turned them, they, they just married this made up story with this real reported story of a, of a haunting and this little girl getting possessed by this old blue collar worker who died of a stroke in his chair. <laughs> So then there was the Smurl family of Pennsylvania, and they claimed their little house was haunted for some 15 years, with disturbances starting small and increasing in violence. Lorraine used her mojo and, conclu- and quote, concluded that the Smurls shared their home with four spirits, a harmless elderly woman, a young and possibly violent girl, a man who suffered and died in the home, and a demon that used the other three spirits to destroy the Smurl family, unquote. The Schmurl family. The Schmurl family. Uh, while multiple priests are on the record saying that nothing unusual happened when they were performing blessings inside the home, that did not stop the Warrens from putting out the book The Haunted that was made into a 1991 TV movie, I think it was on Fox. Oh. And then we get to the subject of The Conjuring 3. And honestly, it was, that movie is kind of a bait and switch. Uh, because The Conjuring 3, the subtitle is The Devil Made Me Do It, which is based on... One of his famous little uh, pieces where the Warrens uh, touched with the legal system because it was the first time uh, possession was demonic mm. possession was used as a defense in a murder trial or at least attempted. It wasn't actually. I used. was about to say, w- well, attempted to use. There was Does attempted that mean it to was use. Not successful? it was not allowed to even be entered as a plea. The. the <laughs> The U.S. court system was like, absolutely not. But, so, like, you go into it, even the marketing for The the Conjuring 3 makes it look like, oh, this is going to be like a courtroom drama mixed in with a Conjuring thing. No. But instead, no, no, no. They they literally just used that part of it to book in the beginning and the end of the movie and then just have write a completely fictional adventure in the middle about the Warrens doing battle with a, a Satanist witch chick. Uh, and Lorraine literally, this is the one where she fully turns into an X-Man, where instead of this subtle bits and getting a headache, she's like seeing full visions and running through the woods, witnessing visions of murders and almost runs straight off a cliff. That seems ridiculous. Um, it was also uh, where, um, <laughs> in the book where... It's not one you just need to get fucked up the, and enjoy the this, it's train the, wreck it's that's the, about to happen. It's the first core Conjuring movie not directed by James Wan. It's definitely the weaker of the three. It's sillier. It's not as scary. And since I still enjoyed it because I liked the characters. And it wasn't bad, bad. It just wasn't as good. You know, graded on a curve. It's just not as good as the first two. But it's also, like I said, a little bit sillier. It turns them more into like a superhero story. However, one little side note. I didn't even put this in the script. But uh, in, the, in the movie... As part of the events, Ed ends up having a heart attack. Now, it's brought on by uh, a demon in the movie. The, the demon triggers the heart attack, but then... <laughs> it Ed, has nothing to do with his cholesterol. <laughs> the fact that you look at Ed Warren, it's like, of course that guy had a heart attack. <laughs> Did he go up a flight of stairs and have chest pain? <laughs> oh, God. So, anyway, so Patrick Wilson has a heart attack at the beginning of the movie. He spends the rest of it, like, walking with a cane and having to pop nitroglycerin pills when he gets all stressed out and everything. Um... So later on, people who worked with and knew Warren, apparently Ed Warren, every time he needed to sell 
that a place was really scary or haunted when he's getting oppressed by the evil energy, or if they're having a seance that's supposed to be really scary, he would fake a heart attack. Like <laughs> Red Fox on Sanford and Sons. He'd be like, oh, oh, the devil's coming for me. Oh, and he, so this is a thing he was doing. So now it makes watching that movie particularly hilarious as Patrick Wilson's <laughs> grabbing his chest and reaching for his pills. Oh my goodness. So they started out, it's like, okay, well, she gets a headache. And then it was like, he gets a heart attack. Yeah. Run. <laughs> well, it's like part of the idea is like in the first two movies, Ed is sort of like the physical protector mm-hmm. of Lorraine. And now this one sort of reverses the roles and fucks with that a bit. So that the Lorraine's charging ahead while Ed's sort of like weakly shuffling behind because her. Because now she's dark Phoenix. <laughs> yes. she's Her true powers are starting to come in because now we got to fight a Satanist who has a demonic altar and tons underneath the ground oh, okay so anyway so now, now we're gonna go jump back to the, the supposed real story at least the official version that in very loosely inspired the movie because once again the movie just pretty much ignores the story for most of the movie it just does at the beginning and the end and is the only time it even bothers with anything based on the official version okay then so um so this is the real the real story again the giant quote. air quotes so it goes something like this a desperate mother calls the Warrens in to help with her son. His name is David Glatzel. Uh, and the Warrens, guess what? Determined he's possessed by a demon. Uh, months later, the boyfriend of David's older sister. So David's a possessed little boy. He has an older sister. That girl's boyfriend dabs his landlord to death in a fit of rage. Uh, so he's charged with manslaughter. And this guy, Arnie Johnson's lawyer, uh, decided to enter a brand new defense at trial not guilty by reason of demonic possession, which, of course, was recommended very strongly by Ed Warren. (laughs) Now, this is all part... Now, this is... Ed has had a long-standing... This predates this trial by many years of trying to get a court to kind of officially accept some kind of supernatural shit as part of a ruling or as part of evidence that's accepted in something because it'll prove because it'll prove the existence of the supernatural if it's accepted by law kind of like remember how in the miracle Mm -hmm. on 44 street 34th street how they accepted santa claus because he they took mail it was kind of like edward's like if if i can just get him to accept ghosts even once i got him (laughs) so this was part of his obsession so he got this in um uh, it would legitimize his spooky you know catholic beliefs through legal precedent. So, and while I'm not usually a fan of the American court system, I am happy to say the judge instantly rejected this attempted plea, uh, saying it was irrelevant and unprovable. It, the answer, he was like, no. Correct. Yeah, no, fuck off. However, Sit like, down. they were smart enough on the, the lawyer, on, on the Ed Warren lawyer uh, for Arnie Johnson's side to do it like on a Friday, get in front of all the cameras and get a bunch of press to do, yeah, this is the mm-hmm. plea. And it took until Monday for the judge to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> and so uh, so it got a bunch, so the, all over the newspapers, all over the country were like, the devil made me do it was like the top headline. It was a big story. Even though it was bullshit. And which is why, of course, because that was the headline, that's why the, the subtitle of the movie, despite the fact they didn't really care about that story very much in the movie. Yeah, well, you do the get to see a guy stabbed to death. <laughs> it's great. Judge was like, "No, absolutely not." I mean, you can't have the you know the lawyer. It's like I plead not guilty by the fact that my lawyer's insane. <laughs> but yeah, Ed got the headlines and the slew of interviews he was looking for, and Johnson went to prison, and we got a silly movie <laughs> like all these years later. Hooray! 
So now Carl Glatzel was the older brother of the possessed little boy, David. He claims, claimed, oh, a few years back to, and claims to this day, the whole thing was a hoax and the Warrens are grifters. Even David, who still claims that he truly was possessed as a kid, is quoted as saying, quote, Lorraine told me I was going to be a rich little boy from this book deal, and that was a lie, unquote. Oh. So. Eee. Let's jump to A Haunting in Connecticut. In 2009, a based-on-a-true-story horror movie hit the screens titled A Haunting in Connecticut. It was, in turn, based on the book In a Dark Place by Ray Garten, and, in turn, based on the case files of Ed and Lorraine Warren. This is, I think, the fourth book in the Ed and Lorraine like, book series they were doing at this point. This is the story of the Snedeker family. Why do all these people have, like, weird-ass last names? It's all part of the charm. Got the, I sm- mean, there the were... Smurls, the Perrins, the Glatzels. Uh, yeah, their name isn't even Warren. Yeah, the Mineys. <laughs> <laughs> and then now we got the, so now we've got uh, the Snedekers. The okay. Snedeker family. So we got mom, dad, and a whole bunch of kids because guess what? Catholic. Catholic. And they don't believe in them that birth control. They believe in fucking. They believe in having an irresponsible number of children. So they moved into this rental duplex and discovered to their horror that the building had previously been a funeral home. Hack. Although, uh, who cares? From the Nesper website, quote, In the basement, they found various mortuary items, including a hoisting apparatus for coffins, a medical gurney, blood drains, and toe tags. Soon enough, the Snedekers were reporting all kinds of evil, including sexual attacks, apparitions, and abrupt, violent personality changes in the oldest son, who is undergoing treatments for Hodgkin's disease. Unquote. So we got this kid with cancer, his personality's... Uh, His changing has nothing changing. to do with the chemo, yeah, and the it hormones has nothing to do and the, with the, 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 the fucking uh, steroids and all the shit. Yeah, it has nothing to do with all the cancer Here. and all the treatments so, and all the but all this emotional other stuff's going problems on. that go along with having you know cancer. So they discover all the 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 more the funeral home shit in the basement and the drain for the blood. So at different points, the poltergeist activity and sexual attacks escalated to ghostly anal penetration of both mom and dad. Youch. And then the goat shoved yeah. his finger And they in literally my ass. said like, they like threw their clothes because this is ghost dick. Raw. Eh. Yeah. So one day mom got a wedgie and was like, see ghost. So of course, they go begging for the demon hunting badasses, Ed and Lorraine, to come take care of business. So when they concluded... You gotta get out that wedgie, Lorraine. <laughs> so when the Warrens concluded their investigation and did their hocus pocus, uh, they hired Ray Garten, this uh, horror author, who'd had a couple of uh, mo- you know decently selling books under his belt, um, and to write the book uh, that would be turned into uh, A Dark Place and then later adapted in the movie, A Haunting in Connecticut. So his novel came out and he was instantly unhappy with it because it was put in the non-fiction section. He has since used every opportunity on the internet to tell people about his experience with the Warrens and writing his book. He has never shut the fuck up about this since the day the book came out. So he, he wants like, everyone no. to know, this book is full of shit. I made this up. <laughs> I was never anally penetrated well, by Well, it wasn't even this. This is just the writer. Oh. The writer is, ta- is talking about his experience. So this was posted. Now, he's. I could have quoted any number of interviews and podcasts. and I heard like five of them. But this is going back uh, to the news group 
remember news groups internet uh alt.folklore.ghost slash stories on april 27th 2000 garden claims the family had serious problems with alcoholism and drug addiction <laughs> and that he they could never uh and he could never determine that the son ever even had cancer and he also just couldn't get their fucking stories straight quote i went to ed warren and told him my problem he told me not to worry that the family was crazy i was shocked he said, all these people who come to us are crazy. You think sane people would come to us? He knew that I'd written a lot of horror novels prior to that, so he told me to just make up a story using whatever details I could incorporate into the book and just make it scary. Unquote. Wow. Okay, so... Okay. Unable to get out of his contract without <laughs> legal... Ramifications. Stuff he couldn't afford. Garton just said, I'll just talk shit about them until the end of time. <laughs> so he goes on, quote... Of the two, Lorraine is the sanest. She's an enabler. Years ago, before their career in the supernatural began, Ed suffered from mental illness. It was bad enough to keep him from working, and the only way he could make money was to hand print haunted houses on dinner plates and sell them door to door. Once Ed decided that Lorraine was psychic, selling the haunted house plates eventually led to investigating haunted houses. At first, they found ghosts, but after the tremendous success of The Exorcist, both the novel and the movie, ghosts suddenly became demons. Unquote. And now he concludes with this mic drop. Quote, Not only are the Warrens frauds, not only do they give a bad name to people who are seriously investigating paranormal phenomenon, I think they're evil because of the way they exploit families already deep in despair and ready to shatter. I can ignore, I can ignore a simple con job, but the Warrens are actually damaging people who are already damaged, who are desperate and vulnerable, using them for the sake of a book, maybe a lucrative movie sale, or another story to add to their traveling dog and pony show. Before I worked on that book, I'd followed the adventures of Ed and Lorraine Warren faithfully since I was a little boy. I was excited to work with them. Boy, was that a big disappointment. It's nice to believe there's a smiling, grandparently couple out there chasing demons, but not when you know they're hurting people for the sake of publicity and the almighty dollar. Unquote. Yep, fuck these people. Oh, and this is one that didn't get into my script, but I'm actually going to show you. So this is from, do you remember the old news magazine show called A Current Affair? Yes. All right, so this is from an old episode of A Current Affair talking about the very case we're talking about. And their journalist actually does some journalism <laughs> and uh, starts buying cool shit. So, like, I'm, I'm skipping past this. You can see in the screenshot. Yeah. This was them talking to the woman. So they lived in a duplex. They had an upstairs fucking neighbor who literally lived right above them who, if all this shit was going on, would know about it. She yep. also said they totally knew it was a funeral home. The family lived there. All this pro- the, They're all, talking uh, about how full of shit it was. And then this is what happens. You can hit play. Okay. This is the journalist actually talking to Ed. At this point, I asked for the name of a priest who the Warrens claim had visited the house. We wanted to speak to him as an independent source. There is no priest, there is no this, there is no that. What is this? Because it does not appear, almost ran you down? Hey, this is, this is baloney. Come on, let's get out of here. I'd like to discuss it some more if we can. Yeah. I'm not discussing anything any further. I think your credibility is... I don't care about credibility, pal. I don't care about credibility, pal. <laughs> That was the real Edward and how he dealt with even a slight question of like, hey, if a priest did this, uh, you know, What's this thing, name? can I just talk to him? And he immediately pitches a fit and grabs Lorraine and runs off. 
He's like, but this will go to your credibility. I don't, I don't <laughs> care. Credibility. And you can also tell no. my Ed Warren isn't actually all that far off from the way he really sounded. His, <laughs> I, I really, I mean, I love Patrick Wilson's like Pepperidge Farm mm-hmm. accent he does when he's doing Ed Warren, but his so does not sound like the real guy. He sounded like an asshole. That's hilarious. And he was. But now, remember that content warning I put at the beginning of all this? Oh, I thought we'd already. No. With. No, we were, the sexual you thought that you thought we were talking about ghost. You thought that the ghost anal pen. I'm talking about real shit, not uh, not bullshit. Uh, Unfortunately, this is the real kind, not the fun ghost, not ghost rape. Well, I mean, I guess if the I hope that the molestation of those little of those girls didn't happen. Well, that is just speculation on our part. Um, and that other family claims they were anally raped. That's their story. That's their story, but yeah. I really wish that, like, Ray Garten talking about them exploiting people and just being awful was the worst thing about the Warrens. Oh. It's bad enough that they're liars and grifters and exploiting screwed-up family for fame and fortune, but there's, well, this. So in the book, The Demonologist, which I told you was published in 1980, it references a woman who works as an assistant to Ed and Lorraine. Uh, so in this situation, a man called named Pete is calling regarding a case that's not important to our purposes here. Quote, Pete telephoned the Warrens and spoke with Judy Penny, a young woman who works as a liaison when Ed and Lorraine are out of town. Judy has heard of some hair-raising tales over the phone, but this one particularly scared her. Unquote. Now, this only becomes relevant because of a December 13th, 2017 article in The Hollywood Reporter, which has this to say. Quote, Ed Warren was in his mid-30s when he allegedly met 15-year-old Penny. Having not yet gained enough fame as a self-trained demonologist to pay the bills in the early 1960s, Ed was working as a city bus driver in Monroe, Connecticut. Penny was a student at Central High School in the nearby town of Bridgeport who rode his bus. The two began an amorous relationship. Penny said in a legal declaration that she gave in November 2014. According to that document, as well as newly obtained recordings of Penny's recollections of events, by 1963, she had moved into the Warrens' home. For the next 40 years, she said she had a sexual relationship with Ed with Lorraine's knowledge. At first, Penny stayed in a bedroom directly opposite the one occupied by the married couple, but eventually she moved into an apartment built for her up above the home. One night he'd sleep downstairs, she said in a recording, one night he'd sleep upstairs, unquote. Oh, ew. So he's in his 30s driving a bus, and this teenage high school 15-year-old girl starts riding his bus, and then he talks her into sex and a relationship and literally working for them as a sort of weirdly indentured servant. Uh, and so, yeah, and his wife was just, it's just cool. So... All accounts say Ed and Lorraine portrayed Judith as a niece or like a charity case. To this day, their daughter Judy Aspira and Tony, the husband, maintain that this woman just lived with the Warrens for four entire decades out of the kindness of their hearts. Because like the fact that she lived with them for that long is just indisputable. Everybody knows that. And like the book says, Judith was the one running the office while the Warrens were off being important. She wasn't just a sex slave. She was literally their yeah, she sort was of, a secretary. she was running the thing. And here's the other little detail that I didn't even put in the script, but I meant to. 
Judy wouldn't know what was going on in that house because that, you know, that whole bit in The Conjuring where where uh, she was at home and Grandma watched her while they were off helping the Perrin family in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Judy didn't live with her parents. She lived with her grandmother at Grandma's house because they were too busy being Ed and Lorraine Warren to raise their own daughter. Oh, so nice. So Judy, I don't fault her for wanting to believe the best, but she literally wasn't there. She doesn't know what her parents were really like because she only saw them, you know, for visitation and holidays and, you know, spill stuff. But most of the time she wasn't around. This lady, Judy, which oh, Judith, that's the thing. Both of them went by Judy, which is sort of disturbing all by itself. Yeah. The fact that she was half Ed's age and the fact that he became a father like in his late. Yeah, it's, it's all kinds of fucked up. So, um, quote, Penny also claimed that Ed was sometimes abusive to Lorraine. Early on, she said, she witnessed him backhand his wife so hard she lost consciousness. Oh, my God. Quote, and this is quoting her inside the quote, sometimes Ed would actually have to slap her across the face to shut her up, Penny said in one recording. Some nights I thought they were going to kill each other, unquote. Want to know how just how great a Catholic um, couple Ed and Lorraine really were? Uh, well, I mean, they already had an in-house sex slave, so... In 1978, Judith Penny got pregnant. Quote, Lorraine persuaded her to have an abortion because the birth of a child could become public and any scandal could ruin the Warrens' business. Though Lorraine is claimed to be a devout Catholic, Penny said her, quote, real God is money. In a tearful recording obtained by The Hollywood Reporter, Penny recalled, They wanted me to tell everyone that someone had come into my apartment and raped me, and I wouldn't do that. I was so scared. I didn't know what to do, but I had an abortion. The night they picked me up from the hospital after having it, they went out and lectured and left me alone. Unquote. Track. Okay. Yeah. Absolute right. fucking trash. Yep. Uh, so here's the thing. Now, ultimately, now, even though these are like sworn depositions and statements and stuff, there's still, you know, this is one woman saying, we know she lived with them. Yeah. And it's like, and I, you know, I am inclined to believe, a you know, a story, especially knowing that the undisputable details of her age, her age and when she started living with them, that's the fact that she was clearly groomed and some shit was going on. Yeah, which is really sad and which is the reason she was there for four decades. So, and, but her stuff is corroborated by other information, including lawsuits by multiple parties. And it would take a long time and get tangled to get into all of it. Mm-hmm. But let's just say it gets backed up a couple different places because once again, everybody started suing once a bunch of money was on the line with these movies. So, um, so like people, the words were like the, the, the guy who wrote the demonologist, um, he, he, he sued them. Uh, this movie producer who was involved with making the original conjuring movie sued, uh, over the depiction of the Warrens, um, based on the stuff he knew about. So here's one last detail that'll help you, kind of maybe decide your your opinion about what to believe or what not to believe. Because you see, when Lorraine Warren signed her deal with New Line Cinema to serve as a consultant for The Conjuring and get her, her piece of that sweet, sweet pie, it included some unusual provisions. Quoting one more time from The Hollywood Reporter, quote, 
The films couldn't show her or her husband engaging in crimes, including sex with minors, child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault. Neither the husband nor wife could be depicted as participating in an extramarital sexual relationship. Talent attorney Jill Smith says she has never seen such specific language barring such depictions. Unquote. It's like weirdly specific language, Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And you got to remember that that contract was done before this woman came forward. Yeah. So she was protecting something by insisting on that be in there. And that's why, like, you know, this depiction of the Warrens is the most wholesome, in love, married couple. Is good example as Catholics and great, great parents with mom, with the daughter waiting for them at home instead of the teenage sex slave. Yeah. Or later on, just woman who'd been groomed and was just living with them. Judith Penny never received a penny for anything related to The Conjuring and its spinoffs. She clearly hated Lorraine, but had weirdly warm feelings for Ed right up until the end and stayed in touch with him. Like right up until he died. She is quoted as asking herself, Lots of times I think about, why did I do this? Why did I screw up my life like this? Sometimes I get angry thinking about it, how so much was taken away from me. Unquote. Yeah, a lot was taken away from me, Yeah, you were a teenage girl. You were groomed. Yeah, the life you could have had. Yeah, if you just took a different fucking bus. Mm -hmm. Without that loser in it. So, yep, so that's where we're going to leave things uh, with Ed and Lorraine Warren. How do you feel about them now? Well, I mean, I started out just thinking that they were regular shitty people. Just either crazy or liars or, you know. But no, no, they're, they're, they're. No, now I'm really, really grossed out. Thanks, Jamie. No, uh, yeah, no, Ed, uh, actual. We cannot have nice things. Fucking, uh, you know, pedophile groomer and, uh, but still convinced he was a good person because he was scaring people with his lies in order to, to, to get them to go to church. So good for, for, good for fucking you, Ed. Yeah. Well, you know, now that he's in hell. So, well, thank you. Everyone, happy Halloween. Uh, at this point, if you're hearing this, it's probably Halloween's over. Uh, and appreciate Kevin and Raven Sound Studios for hosting us and making us sound good. Absolutely. Thank you, Kevin. Be sure to visit our website, chainsawhistory.com, to check our back catalog, get our other episodes of shows like The Value of and No Time for Dr. Jones, articles, uh, transcripts, bonus content, and more. Uh, just like last time, I would encourage you to give to the Feeding America charity by going to feedingamerica.org and support local food pantries, just like those goofballs who were hanging out with Annabelle on the live stream the other night. And yeah, and just like last time, I and previously and now until uh, we stop Cop City, it's stopcopcity.org. Let's stop uh, police from training in urban warfare. Yeah, I believe that's the way to go. So you can also look up the Atlanta Solidarity Fund if you want to help uh, people who get arrested because they're just exercising their rights to protest this nonsense going on in their backyard. But until then, Bambi and I are going to go. I think i got a new strategy for us. We should start podcast recording on the sidewalk in front of somebody's house, describing it in detail, and then use the recording as a way to bribe ourselves in and get more information <laughs> about the haunting. Yeah. <laughs> Or about just the layout of your home. Can I know, uh, and uh, in order to fight the ghost, we're going to need the number, the security code uh, for your (laughs) alarm system, and the PIN number to your ATM. Who are you going to (laughs) call? 
the grifters. So we'll see you next time, everybody. All right. Bye. Later. Bye.